stand for 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 14. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So we're going to be, obviously it's Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking about love. That's great God, that's God's great love for us. And it truly is amazing grace.
God loves us, you look at the cross. If you wonder how much God loves us, you look at the fact that he, that we are still here and he puts up with us and he forgives us and he's long-suffering and he's working in our lives. And Lord, as we, uh, as we gather together to worship this morning, you know, we need a reminder that you are still on the throne. As we face disaster, as we face sickness, as we face uncertainties, we need to know that you still love us, and we thank you that you do. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd use every part of this service to glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you are seated, wish somebody a happy, as I say, Thanksgiving. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs>
God's great love for us.
read from 1 John, we know that you are love. And you demonstrated your love in that you sent your son to be the propitiation for our sin, the satisfaction who paid the debt for our sin. And because Jesus bought us, we now belong to you. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters. And you never let us go. And your love will never fail. And we thank you for that. We thank you that no matter what trial, well, what difficulty, what disappointment, what frustration, what uncertainty we face, we know that your love will never fail us. And you will never let go. And, and as I was thinking about this last couple of days, you know, the great thing about God is he is everywhere. The Lord Jesus is our Savior. He lives within us. And certainly the great thing about having God as our Heavenly Father is we have divine help. And as we think about dear Sharon in the hospital facing a very grave illness and uh, a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of decisions to be made, you know, we need divine help, Lord. She needs divine comfort. She needs the divine guidance. And yes, even divine healing. We, take, we pray, just pray that you would take care of her and her family and her friends and all of us as she goes through this. And for Cliff and Cindy, as they, you know, they, they had a, there's a big disaster too, and it's an ongoing one. And, and again, I just pray that, that you would be there in a supernatural way. We thank you. Nobody was hurt in this fire and uh, nobody was injured, and we know that all things are working together for good, that those who are loved God and are called according to his purpose, even when we can't see it. That's when God says, you know what? I'm here. If I, if I called you, if I sent Jesus to die for you, if I love you with a love that never fails, if my love is so deep, it's deeper than the ocean, it's, it's the comfort for you, just trust me, and I will be here to help you through it. And if you think back in your life, it's those times when we have been in those situations that we really feel, in a sense, you know, God's presence in a unique way because we need it. And so, Lord, we pray today as we think about Valentine's Day, as we think about love, I pray that, uh, that you, would, you would help us just realize how important your love is for us and what you want us to do, how you want us to love. But it's all based on the fact that yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. So may that hold us together. May that forever glorify you. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?
always trying to trick Jesus to catch him in a corner because they wanted him dead. They wanted the crowds against him. So a lawyer who would really would have been a theologian came up to ask him really a trick question because remember, the Jews were well familiar with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they knew the law. In fact, they had added laws and embellished the laws. They had some 600-plus laws. So they understood that God has given us laws. And it's, it's really like this wise guy lawyer, theologian, says, Okay, Jesus, hey, tell me what the greatest commandment is. In other words, it's a trick question. Because you pick one out of 600 and whatever, and, and we can say, well, that's not it, and that's not it. And that's not it. So he thought he had Jesus in a corner. But Jesus, being God, gave us this awesome answer, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he said, and the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets that I have given you. I'm not talking about the things you have added. I'm talking about what God has given you. It's summed up. We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what God wants from us. That's what Jesus is saying. You live your life, and this is the goal of your life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And God knows that we are going to have difficulty doing that because we are human beings. Yes, we have been redeemed. If we know the Lord Jesus is our personal Savior, we have been forgiven. But take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. We, we have been forgiven, but he knows that uh, Galatians tells us that our problem is we still live in these bodies. We still have the flesh. And Paul in Galatians 5 says, Is the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? So you, we are not able at times to do what we want to do because there is this war going on. And God knows that. Plus God knows that we are like sheep. Why Isaiah 53 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And what sheep do is they kind of continually go astray. You may have gone astray already. I mean, you came in, we were tracking well, had this thought, no, oh, now I'm over here. So God knows that. So what does he do? He disciplines us as a father disciplines his son. In Hebrews 11, we have the great hall of faith. And, and what God is trying to tell us, this is how we live on planet Earth. By faith. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk. Romans 1. What is faith? Chapter 11, verse 1. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Illustration. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God and that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And the reason we take that by faith is none of us were there. In fact, there was nobody there but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But God recorded it for us 
in Genesis, and we believe it by faith, and that's how we live. And the whole book of, of, of the whole chapter 11 is about living by faith and taking big chances, as it were, by faith. I mean, it was by faith Noah built an ark when it had never rained. God says, I'm going to destroy the earth by water and by rain. It had never rained, and he built this huge ark. took him 120 years. And you're thinking, you know, what was he thinking? He says, I don't know, but I believe in Jehovah God. I believe in Yahweh God, my God. And if he said build an ark, I'm going to build an ark. And then it was Abraham left his home and traveled. And it goes on. Moses left Egypt to take the children of Israel out. And then he says in verse 32, What more shall I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. And we say, amen, I want to be in that group. God supernaturally helped these men and women do these marvelous acts. Verse 34, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Oh, yeah, you say, that's, I'll stand in that line, sign me up for that. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. You say, yes, yes, yes. And then the middle of verse 35 hits us. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised by that the Messiah coming, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. And what would that be? That would be doubt. That would be despondency. You know, things cave in and we cave in. So the natural tendency, when, when the pressure around you is pushing, the natural tendency is to give way and to cave in. But if we're living by faith and we're saying, oh God, I know and I believe you've got this under control. You're my good shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Well, you know, I can, I, it, can, it can give some pressure, but God's, oops, but God's going to say, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. So therefore, let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's that race? Our life. And how do we do this when things are caving in? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. What did he do? For the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against themselves, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what love is about. He's trying to help us. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Okay, that's important. You are now my children. You've come to faith in Christ uh, and you're mine. You are now my son. And remember, this is what God does with his sons. My son, verse 5, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The, the word is it's a word taken from actually child. It means not only chastisement, but in correction, but direction and information. And son, you need and daughter, you need to do this. We gotta get so many hours of sleep. You need to put down the M&Ms and pick up the broccoli, etc., etc. Because I'm trying to help you. And if I left you to yourself, you would destroy yourself. That's why God made parents. That's why God gave us a book. So He says, "I love you, so I'm going to discipline you. Don't faint when you're reproved by Him." Verse five or six. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So when we hit these bumps in the road, we say, Lord, there's a reason you're with me. Thank you. Thank you. Help me understand what it is you're trying to tell me and what correction, if anything, I need to make. And I know, I know how that works in my life, and I say, oh, okay, Lord, help me do that. Usually that happens when you're reading the Bible and you read something and you go, oh, yes, I need that. So anyway, verse 6, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So yes, there is, there is consequences at times. There is scourging. But verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the fathers does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, being imperfect, not knowing the beginning from the end, not having supernatural power, they did the best they could. And the argument is, look at you submitted and honored them. Wouldn't it be, you know, would it seem best to them? But he, verse 10, God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. That's the point. We said last week, you have been picked up off the, off the gutter, smelly, dirty, you had all these bad habits, habits. I came by in the Ferrari, picked you up, adopted you, dressed you up. Now we're working your entire life, re, reworking you so that you reflect me, not the gutter. You came from the gutter. Now you're my son. So everything I do for you, every discipline, every chastisement, every instruction is so that you can share my holiness. By the way, do you realize Romans 8, 28, 
we, like, we love that verse. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Great. What, what's the purpose? Next verse. That we would be conformed to the image of his son. Same thing. And then he says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Amen. We don't like going through the pain. We, we would much rather, you know, watch the movie later and watch the scenes unfold and be sitting in our, in our easy chair with our feet up when it's all over and then watch what happened or read the end of the book when it's all happened. But going through it can be tough. But he says afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness got to keep the big picture. Remember, he started this chapter by saying, run looking to Jesus. He is your goal. And run realizing God's going to use everything in this world and in your life to have you look more like him. Keep that in mind that at the end, you're going to be far better off. You're going to be far better off when you let the smelly clothes go. When you leave the gutter habits in the gutter. It, yeah, I know you don't want to initially, but you're more, you'd be far better off. Therefore, strengthen the heart, the hands that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so the limb, for the, so the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's how we live. That's how we live. God loves us so much. This is his plan. New Testament, Old Testament, every single one of his saints. He wants the best for you. So now, let's go to Deuteronomy. All of that to say, that just sets us up for Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to finish the chapter. This is Valentine's Day where we celebrate love. So I have chosen a text to speak about love. Actually, I didn't choose it. It chose me. It's the next passage we're following, which is, by the way, one of the reasons you just go through a book so that you just say, God, what's next? Well, here it is. It's about tithing. It's about tithing. How in the world, what does tithing have to do with love and Valentine's Day? Well, hang on and watch. I think it does. It's about tithing. Remember that we are in Deuteronomy Chapter 14, just the first two verses. You are sons of the, of the Lord your God. Therefore, you don't do this. Verse 2. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possessions out of all the people that are on the earth. Therefore, you don't eat this and you eat that so that you can be different. You are my people. And then he continues. And he says, verse 22. You shall tithe, surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, and it's, the tithe is for all of these, so we can add the tithe of your grain, the tithe of your new wine, the tithe of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, if the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, 
which would include your grain, your new wine, your oil, and your animals, to the place um, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away for you when the Lord your God blesses you. Then, verse 25, you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, or wine, or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which he, which you do. So why in the world, I mean, how does this reflect God's love? Here's how. The two great commandments is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. And I know that you're going to stray like sheep, so I'm going to give you tithing to help you. And, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself, and so you need to help take care of the poor when you can. And I'm going to put this in the law that every third year, that's what you're going to do. Because he knows they wouldn't do this on their own. In fact, next week, when we begin to look at the sabbatical year in chapter 15, we're going to find they didn't do it. That's why they ended up in captivity for 70 years. But here, notice how God loves and how when he knows we're not going to do this on our own, he, he says, okay, now here, here's the law. This is what you do. And as we go through this quickly, you notice three key phrases that certainly helped me put it together. The beginning of verse 22, you shall. At the end of verse 23, so that. And at the end of verse 29, in order that. So if you're, if you're diagramming this passage, you would say, okay, you shall, God wants us to do something. Why? So that. He's going to tell you why. And in order that. So that's where we're going. First of all, you shall. What does he want them to do? You shall tithe all the produce of what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. The word tithe means a tenth part. A tenth part. So what they were to do is to take, uh, well, they had a, a tithe before this. If you go to Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 33, we won't do that now. And Numbers 18, 21 through 32, so that's Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18, the first tithe was to, to be paid to the Levites. As we read here, the Levites don't have an inheritance in the land, verse 27 and verse 29. As God gave them the promised land, he broke it up, and different tribes had different sections. The Levites, as the rulers of the people, were going to be spread throughout the people. 
So they didn't have a specific lot of line, uh, a lot of uh, lot of land. Yeah, land of lot or land of a lot of land. But everybody was to help them because they were the rulers. You see, Israel was a theocracy. God was their king. God was their father, and He ruled it through the Levites. You went to the Levites for uh, uh, for spiritual need, for for education, for all kinds of things. They were the rulers. And so he says, you're going to take a tenth of, of all that you have, and you're going to give it to the Levites, basically to support your government. The easiest way to think about tithes in the Old Testament is to think taxes. This was their taxes. We pay taxes today to support the government to protect us, supposedly, and all of that stuff. I mean, we keep shooting down unidentified flying objects. That's good. You know, so that's the whole point. We pay our taxes. They were to tithe to the Levites. They were, they were paying the salaries, as you were, of their leaders. This particular tithe is the second one. So that's 10%. Now we're going to add another 10%, 20%, right? 10 and 10 is 20. So this is what he's talking about. This is a different time. He says, every year, you take a tenth of, of what you have produced. You take a tenth of produce, what you sow comes out of the field. You know, for example, you get to verse 23, your oil, your grain, your herds. And, and what you're to do is you're to take a, that tenth of all of that stuff, and you're to cart it with yourself to Jerusalem, he talks about the place that God has designated, that was Jerusalem, and you're to celebrate this before the Lord. And basically, it's a huge Thanksgiving potluck. And, and, and writers that I read said, probably this referred more to the Feast of Tabernacles, which was in the fall, which was a harvest uh, celebration. So here's what's happening, is every year, you took a tenth of your stuff, and you went to Jerusalem with it, and then you had this huge national potluck as everybody's bringing a tenth of their stuff. And then we're all eating this together and celebrating before the Lord, and the whole point was to celebrate before the Lord and to thank Him for what He had given you. So, you know, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, my goodness, Lord, I'm glad I live in the New Testament, because it would be difficult. For one, you would have to track this. For one, you'd have to store this. And for one, you'd have to get it to Jerusalem. God is a God of love. And what he is saying is, look it, if it's too far for you to go to Jerusalem, say that, uh, say that we live here in Central California, Say that God said, where you have to take this is Washington, D.C. And you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to have to cart a tenth of my everything, my animals and everything to Washington, D.C. to participate in the national potluck dinner as we're praising God. He says, well, if it's too far for you to go, what you do in verse 25 is you cash it in for money. And so I'm assuming you'd go to the Levites or wherever you were and you'd say, look, here's my tenth. But it's too far to go, so I'm going to sell it to you. You were given the money. Then you take the money to Washington, D.C., and when you get there, as he says, now when you get there, you can buy whatever your heart desires. 
to participate in the feast. You can buy an oxen, a sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your heart desires, and then you shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. This was a happy time. Talk about a feast. I mean, and I'm thinking, good grief, this is the entire nation. There had to be a lot of stuff. You go to a potluck. If it's a big potluck, and you're wandering around a scene, well, what's at the end of the table? How many, how many uh, hot dogs do I want to take? Because there may be pizza at the end of the day. <laughs> and you've got to gauge yourself. Can you imagine how great this would have been? Awesome. Awesome. And then there's a third one. Well, then, then as you do this, the same, same one. Look at verse 27. He says, but you're not to neglect a Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. So the Levite is not farming. He's not raising cattle. So he's got nothing to take. And so what you're to do is every third year, so that would be every third year and every sixth year. Basically, that's verse 27. At the end of every third year, we're going to find next week in chapter 15, they God put them on a seven-year cycle. So, and you're going to like this, the seventh year, all debts were canceled. I mean, it's amazing. So, but we'll look at that in the future. But anyway, he says, every third year, you don't take your stuff to Washington, D.C., Jerusalem. You keep it at home. And what you do is you invite the Levites and the widows and the poor in your town to come enjoying the potluck that we're now having in our backyard every third and sixth year. So it's not another one. Some some have added three ties in the and you can you can Google this and have a great time reading about ties. But this, you know, I I, I understand this like writers, Benson and other great commentators, that this this, this thing at third year takes the place of the other one. So instead of going to Jerusalem, you stay home and you open it up to everybody. And you're trying to help them because they can't travel or they don't have the stuff to go. So that's what this has happened. And it's pretty simple, really. People today argue about tithe. Is there tithes in the New Testament? Are we supposed to tithe in the church? It's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not commanded in the New Testament. Yes, we are to give. That's the same thing. We'll see that in a second. But, but this tithing was their taxes. So you're saying if you're going to do anything, you're going to say, yes, it's in the New Testament. It's called pay your taxes. Mm -hmm. Romans 13, 7, pay your taxes. We are paying our taxes to the government that is supporting us. For those, you know, on Medicare or Medicaid or whatever or Social Security, I mean, that's the government taking care of you. Yes, you have paid in over the years. Now they're paying you back. That's basically what this is. So that's what the you shall. What about the so that? This is the important part. This is where God's love shines. The so that. You do all this at the end of verse 23 so that you may learn because you're not going to do this naturally. And we're going to see they didn't. Why? Because they're greedy. You mean I got to, I got to, on the seventh year, I can't plant, I can't do anything? Yeah. You're to take it off. Oh, no, I've got this business plan. 
you know, and so they didn't. And that's next week. But anyway, he says, I, I know you're going to have a hard time with this, but I'm going to give you this so that you will learn to fear the Lord your God always. To fear. The word means to reverence, to trust, to obey, to worship. He says, and I know you're not going to do this naturally, even as my children. So I'm going to give you this law with these ties. You take care of the government. It's the first one. This second one <clears throat> is, the is designed for you to continually remember that I'm the one giving you the harvest. And I want you to take this and share it and go to Jerusalem or in a third and sixth year to stay home and you can give me the praise and the glory that I deserve for this. You didn't do this. You say, did they really need to learn that? Well, yeah, they did. Go back to chapter 8. Chapter 8. Human nature. This is just human nature. Listen to what he says in chapter 8. Remember? Verse 11, you get to the land. It's awesome. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied... You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And that was part, that's part of this feast. What's thanksgiving about? Giving thanks. Verse 11, beware as you're eating all of this and having a great time because you're prosperous. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes as I'm commanding you today. See, God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. I want you to follow me, but I know you're not going to want to, so I'm going to give you this tithe thing. In essence, it's going to force you to do this. So as you are planning, as you are setting aside, you're thinking, okay, God does this, and, we're, and he has a purpose, and he's providing all this anyway, so it keeps you focused on him so you don't forget him. Because he says, beware lest you forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, this is what's going to, and this is what happens. When you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions in thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. And in the wilderness he fed you uh, manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that, it might, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. See, this is the training process. This is the Hebrews thing. Well, that's why we started there. Otherwise, if God doesn't do this, otherwise, you may say in your heart, hey, my power and strength and my hand have made me this well. Haven't we done an awesome job? But, 18, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know, one of the reasons we give, there's a lot of reasons to give, 
part of that is expression of gratitude of heart. But the bottom line, it's I'm going to give because I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to give first. And in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, it's your homework. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we're to give as God moves in our heart. So there's no set percentage in the New Testament. You give as God has moved in your heart. You give from a, from a, a cheerful heart. And you give to God. But the principle applies. We give to God because he first gave to us. You see, as it, it, we'll talk about this next week, but, but let me read for you Leviticus 25. Because I kept thinking, okay, God, what's the main point here? You know, the main point is I just want you to trust me. I've given you laws. I've given you regulations. And I'm saying, trust me in everything. Even when I say, on the seventh year, you don't plant. So, yes. I think it was Benson said, because they didn't plant, they didn't have a harvest, they didn't have a tithe, that tithe. They didn't do that on that seventh year. Leviticus 25, 18, You shall thus observe my statutes and keep my, my uh, statements so that you may live securely in the land. Then the land will yield its produce so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But if you say, well, Lord, yeah, but what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Yeah, I understand years one through six, but what about the seventh when we're not supposed to do that? We're going to starve? Watch this. Verse 20, but I, uh, verse 21, then God is speaking, I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. Then you are sowing the eighth year, you shall eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crop comes in. That has to do with cropping can read that, you know, but the point is I'm going to bless the sixth year. You're going to have enough. You save it up. Does that sound familiar? Remember the manna? They were, to, they, were, they were to gather the manna for how many days? Six. If you went out on the seventh day to find manna, there wasn't going to be any. And, uh, and, and what you were supposed to do is on the sixth day, you took enough for the seventh day. God's going to provide. You know what he's trying to tell them? He says, I love you guys, but I know you are stubborn sheep. I mean, he has said that throughout the book of Deuteronomy. So I, I'm going to give you this law to help you. I'm, I'm going to give this law. You're going to put aside. You're going to have to trust me for all of this. And plus, I want you to share that with others. Maybe you're thinking already of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and again, this is the point. Just listen to how the Bible all fits together. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. What? Don't plant on the seventh year? Are you kidding? God is saying, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Say, God, I, yeah, I got to do this tenth of this and a tenth of that. 
Plus they had a third shekel tax every so often. So mm -hmm. I think it comes to about 20, 20 and a third uh, percent that they had to give or 23% with that third. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Verse nine, honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of your produce, this would be your offering. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And, and that goes over to the New Testament as well. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew, rather in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give and it shall be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over for your standard of measure. It will be measured to you in return. One of the things I remember from my mom and dad is that uh, and somewhere along the line they, they told me this or they made it known. They said, you know, we have never lacked for anything. There's been years where we didn't have a whole lot. I remember years where Christmas somebody gave us a farm set that my sister and I played for. That was basically our Christmas. But hey, we had some. So mom and dad would tell me, you know, we have never lacked what we needed. When dad was out of work, laid off in between jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then they would say, and we really believe the reason is, is we always gave to the Lord first. We always set aside whatever amount we decided that we're gonna give you this first, Lord. And then we're gonna follow this principle and watch what happens. And he provided. And it's what he's trained to them. He says, I love you. I know you would not do this on your own. So let me do this for you. So that you would fear me. You'd learn to trust me. You'd learn that I know what I'm doing. Third key word. You shall tithe, pay your taxes and do this great potluck dinner. So that you will learn to fear and trust me always. In order that, in verse 29, the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. You see, there's always a blessing to obedience. And in, in, in the whole thing of giving, and in the whole thing of, oh, you know, we, we tend to live by our gut. And we tend to live by our pocketbook because that feeds our gut. And so it all goes together, and God knows that. And he's just saying, look, I'm going to help you because I love you. And I want you to do this on your own. But, you know, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. We are to help those that are in need. You know, that was the third, I love that third and sixth year. I, I was thinking, well, what do those folks do on years one and two and four and five? And I don't know, they took care, maybe they stored it up, but specifically, this was for you guys every third and sixth year. I remembered 1 John 3, verse 16, we love, we know love by this, that he's laid down his life for us and we have to lay down our lives for the brethren. I mean, did you hear that? First John 3.16, easy to remember because John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. First John 3.16 says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Yeah, I got John 3.16. And then he says, but here in First John 3.16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
woe. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Yeah, if we can help somebody, help them. In fact, Galatians 6 says, just not lose heart in doing what is good. 6 9. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And sometimes, in fact, we could say all the time, we need to push in that direction. In the Old Testament, God gave them tithing, take care of the government, but especially the festive things. Just look at I want you to care for these people. Don't forget them. You notice he said, don't forget the Levite. So we're going to include them years three and six. Love is, is a glorious, glorious thing. I'm going to close by reading the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. And it all, it's just, it, as you think about it, this all ties together. Even tight. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the fa all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Does not provoke. Does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you that you are the supreme example of that because you sent your son, you literally sacrificed yourself for us. And you want us to share, in essence, the glories of that. And yet, you know, we're not going to do that on our own. So you gave us not only an example in Jesus, 
He gave us not only an example in those people we read about in Hebrews 11, but you gave us instruction. And we're not under the Old Testament systems that we just read, but it tells us something. It tells us that you want us to trust you and to follow directions. And yeah, pay your taxes. Pay, you know, the church staff or the preacher or, or the ministry. And then help take care of the poor when you can. That's what you want. It's all because we are sharing your love that has been placed in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But Lord, as we just read, we can do all those great things. And if we have not love, you very clearly said it's nothing. It's a noise. So may, as we think of Valentine's Day and of being loved, may we think of how better we can love. Help us do that, Lord, we pray. Spend a few moments, just let those things, thoughts roll around and then, and then we'll close with, uh, with a prayer.
Yes, Lord, we see that in our Lord Jesus and in you. And I pray we see it in the law. You're just trying to help us. So, Lord, teach us to love. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.